Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Balsamic, our favorite low-fidelity wireframing tool. Balsamic just released a whole new version of their desktop app for both Windows and Mac. Now they're fully native and have lots of new features like threaded comments, a brand new full screen presentation mode, a larger canvas, the ability to work on Balsamic cloud projects, and a lot more. New licenses are still only $89 per person and updates for existing customers, half price. It's time to give Balsamic another look. Check it out at balsamic.com. That's balsamic with a Q dot com. Joining me today is frequent co-host Ed Freifogel. What's been happening, Ed? Well, the year's off to a good start. I guess it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. So, you know, we've just been cranking along. Lots of we're rolling out a couple new features in the next couple of weeks. First one kind of came out this week. It was actually a feature we wanted to get out before Christmas, and then it got got delayed a little bit. So, finally launched it, and lots of more just kind of churning along. You know, this is kind of peak work period in the sense that I, I always try to structure my year so that I work a bit less in the summer when the kids are out of school. So. That means now is kind of the prime period to work. I don't have any travel scheduled, anything like that. Um, although I did have this uh, last week, we had an event. I run an event called GeoMob, which is kind of meet up for location-based service developers and product managers. And at the beginning of January, we had that in London. And then last week, we had the, the first one here in Barcelona uh, for this year. And it was really good. It was a lot of fun. A lot of people turned out. And so that was good. What about you? When's the next one in Barcelona? The next one in Barcelona, we do, I'm aiming to do about four a year. So the next one will probably be in May, May 6th. Actually, we just nailed down the date for that. Okay. I'm looking forward to going to it. I'll be back in Barcelona by then. Excellent. Yeah, you should definitely be- come along. We, we had a good turnout. We had a good turnout, actually. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about launching new features. You mentioned you do that. What's your process for doing that in terms of, do you release it to everybody? Do you announce it with a blog post or do you just try do it on Monday mornings when nothing, when if anything goes wrong, you can recover quickly? Tell me a bit about how you do it. Uh, that's a good question. I guess it depends a little bit on the feature. Um, so the feature that's coming out next week, hopefully, is only for paying customers. Whereas the feature that came out this week was for everybody. Um, so then, yeah, once it's ready and we've done testing, of course, and things like that. But no, we then we roll it out for everyone and then do a we have a public change log. Um, so announce it there, then do, do a blog post about it where we kind of explain it. Depends on the complexity of the feature, of course. Um, and then I might uh, email the, if it's a feature that we did kind of in response to the request of a specific customer or something, we might, I might, I would probably email them and tell them about it. But actually, one of the projects that we kind of have for this year is for the feature that's coming out next week is it's going to be a feature just for paying customers as a way to try to differentiate even more the, the kind of, 
paying customers versus the people on the free trial. So we're, we we have a couple of features like that coming coming in the coming weeks and months. So that process you use for launching the new feature, do you uh, use a checklist that you work through to make sure you get everything done or is it just done on what's in your head? No, we do usually do a checklist, usually on a Trello card about the feature. It depends on the size of the feature and the complexity. and. Um, but no, yeah, we have a slight checklist. I guess that that's one of the things that we're going to get in. I think today our topic is the goals for the uh, for the business. And one of my goals, not to jump ahead too much, is documenting and automating some of our processes a bit more. And that's probably one that we could do a bit of a better job on, actually, to make sure that we don't miss anything out. But that being said, we're still quite a, we're only two people, so it's not hard to yeah to yeah yeah. Mm. So. You mentioned that testing's part of your feature release process. I think testing doesn't get given enough attention in all this world of talking about how to run SaaS products and software products for bootstrappers. How, how do you go about testing? Do you have somebody who does this for you? Well, first of all, we have quite a comprehensive software testing setup, like unit tests and what we call black box tests. And and frankly, that's really, in my opinion, I've heard some people say, oh, testing, you know, it just slows you down. but Honestly, I think it's the only way we can work because it's only because we have a lot of tests that we have confidence to launch frequently, right? Because I know that mm. if I break something, the tests will catch it. Um, so we invest a lot of time and energy into that automated test process and you know the test run every time something gets checked in, but also every night on the actual live servers and things like that. So that if we ever have a, a problem, we, it, we, it gets detected quite quickly. And, but then we also, depending on the feature, you know, also do some kind of human testing. And maybe I might, you know, we have we have quite a few freelancers that we work with, so maybe I might send it to some of them to test and things like that. And but I guess in general, that is also one benefit of having a free trial. You know, many of our users are on a free trial, so of course we're trying to do the you know present provide a great service to them. But if someone's on a free trial, I don't. I feel bad if I break things for my paying customers. I don't feel as bad if if a free trial user doesn't have yeah. the optimal experience. I think in a future episode we should talk in detail about quality assurance for bootstrappers. I think this is a uh, something we could talk a lot about. Almost everything you just said, I wanted to unpack every single sentence, and then we'd never get on with the rest of this today's topic. Well, it's one of those things like obviously you could spend the rest of your life testing if you wanted to, or or doing quality <laughs> assurance. So obviously at some point you have to draw the line between cost and benefit and say, yeah. you know, this is good enough. I think we're quite thorough though. I have to say, we 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 kind of pride ourselves on that. There's never never an outage, and uh, you know, very redundant systems, and so I think we're doing a good job there. Great. And what about you, man? What have you been up to? So, like you, taking I've been taking advantage of January to to get back into the steady flow of work. We added two things to feature upvote this week. One is a translation of the entire app into Polish, which was contributed by a new trial customer. Great. We sort of break our translations up into those we consider to be core which we take care of ourselves and those which are customer contributed. Hmm. And the core ones, I think, are, I'm going to say this wrong off the top of my head, French, German, Spanish, Italian, and uh, everything else is customer contributed. So we make it very clear on our site how people can contribute. And they do write to us from time to time. So early this week, somebody wrote, said, 
could I do the Polish translation for you? And we opened up our tool we use for that. And within a couple of days, she had it done. And then a day later, she had a revision done based on the first one. I really like this. It makes it really easy to make our product open to everybody. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I mean, and, and that's just pure, purely people volunteering their time and effort to do that? Or do you then give them a discount or something or what? If people do it and ask for a discount, we then give them a discount, maybe a couple of months free, or we put them on a cheaper plan. But a lot of people don't ask for that. Now, on the record, as having made it clear that that's available for anybody who asks. Hmm. And I, th- I think it's fair. I think it's to, fair as well. Yeah, I think it's fair as well. We often, if someone you know reports a, a nice bug or something, then we we offer them a discount or things like that. Oh, that's nice. So. Oh, very nice. The, the second thing we got done this week was... Uh, our feedback board, when you're looking at it for the first time as the account owner, you see a help panel along the very top of the, the screen, the browser window, kind of like what Stack Overflow does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something we've been working on for months as part of our revised onboarding. And it's just taken so long to get it there, what with Christmas and uh, other things coming up. But we finally got it live yesterday. And But wait, can I... So you say it's there by default the first time, and then afterwards, can I get back to it? Because sometimes you have those things where, like, the first time you come to the site and you have, like, the help text or whatever, and then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. get out of my way. I want to work. And then, like, the next time you're like, actually, the help text would be useful, but then it's gone. You know, we talked and talked and talked amongst ourselves about how best to resolve those problems. So what we came up with is a, a close button, which will get rid of it, but it will be back there next time. It's actually kind of a drop-down panel. You know, it's, welcome to your feature board. Want to know more with the drop-down link? And then the panel opens up. And then there's a don't show me this again button on there. It's a bit hard to describe how this all works on a podcast, but we're kind of confident that it's the right balance between getting rid of it for now and getting rid of it for all time. Gotcha. Yeah, it's tricky. It's very tricky. And the, th- the things that it, it tells people, there's not many things, just three things that we figure are the most useful things that people want to do the most. One, how do they add team members to their board? Two, how do they customize it? And three, how do they share the board with their customers and colleagues and so on? Cool, cool. And well, so congrats on getting it live. That live. Yeah, it's good. It takes a long time to do something that on at the end looks like a very simple operation. Oh my God, it's the hardest thing to make something simple. It's <laughs> yeah. hugely yeah. complex. So, Ed, it's now early 2020, so let's talk goals for 2020. What do you aim to achieve by the end of this year? So, I guess, first off, of course, we have some business goals in terms of MRR. I mean, the two metrics that we track quite closely in terms of financially, how well we're doing is MRR and the number of customers. So, um, And MRR, for those who are not completely immersed in this world, is monthly recurring revenue. It's like the number one thing most software as a service or subscription-based products use to track right. exactly. uh, revenue. So we, we do occasionally have some one-time revenue. We have people who show up and want, they have a big project, but it's a one-time thing. And if it's a small project, we'll just say, no, we won't do it. But if it's a big enough amount, we'll, we'll say, fine, you know, we'll do it. But we don't count that in MRR. Um, anyway, okay. we, we have some financial numbers that, of course, we're trying to reach. Um, and we have an endless, endless amount of ongoing product work. Can we go back to the MRR and customers numbers? Do you set yourself a specific goal you try to reach by the end of the year, or do you just generally want them to improve? 
We set ourselves a goal, but the, the issue is, I mean, that just setting the goal like isn't going to make it happen, right? The question is, how, mm-hmm. how do you? What are the steps you're going to take to make it happen, right? So, yeah, but, but we do kind of have a goal uh, that we're. Is that it we're, a stretch goal or something that's quite reasonably reasonable to achieve given your current trajectory? I think it's a bit of a stretch. It's 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 not it's not you know off the chart stretch, but it's it, it's aggressive. It's aggressive. Okay. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> you were on to point two. Well, the, the other point I was going to make is, I mean, the nature of our service is that there's an endless amount of product work we can do on the core geocoding. I mean, we have people continually reporting areas we can improve, and we're continually working on improving that and feeding that back into the the open source software that we rely on and things like that. So, th- But that's just kind of background work. So in terms of the actual goals that we have, and my 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 colleague and I we met a couple of weeks ago and agreed on kind of these things. But I'd say they fall into a couple. We talked about three big goals, and then we talked about one other thing. So that, that I want to list here. So the first up is in the last couple of years we've been very very good at automating the technical side of our business, which is pretty complex. I mean we have a lot of servers and the data is constantly updating and things. So we did a lot of work on updating that and automating everything and. Um, but now we want to turn our attention more to the business side, all the kind of work that we do behind the scenes to operate the business, you know, be it, you know, dealing with our accountant or what, you know, customer support or whatever it is. How can we as much as possible automate and document that or maybe find someone who can a freelancer who can help us with some of it and free ourselves up to work on higher value things. That's I'd say one of our big blocks of work for this year. And then the next piece is we want to, we need to really work on our marketing and sales techniques. We've tried a lot of different experiments over the last couple of years um, in terms of various online digital marketing channels or uh, going to events or uh, some, we've, we've made some attempts at direct sales, probably haven't done that very well, um, but we haven't unlocked the core channel that can really continually bring growth. So we have a lot of ideas there of more experiments that we want to run. And so the action is kind of just, you know, work our way through those experiments and see see what, see what we can learn there. Would you consider bringing on either temporarily or permanently somebody who specializes in that and really... Yeah, well, I wouldn't, we, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't start permanently, but we would, I would definitely consider, you know, hiring a freelancer for a couple months and see how it goes. And, it, you know, if it's working, you know, if someone can help me figure out how, you know, I can spend 100 and get back 200, of course, I'll do that all day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So, but we haven't, we haven't quite unlocked that yet. So we need to figure out how to do that. And then the third piece is, um, as, I, as I mentioned, we run this event, um, GeoMob, uh, and, and until two years ago, or until, until a year ago even, uh, we were only running it in London. It was kind of a legacy of the time when I lived in London. Um, and it was while you were living, although you had moved to Barcelona and you were still running this in London. Yeah, right? yes, and I, st- I still go back to London every once a quarter or so and, and run the event there. And it's a lot of fun and I always enjoy it. And, and then we put our business as kind of the sponsor of the event. 
um, or one of the sponsors. And, but mainly it's, it's about a chance. It's, it's meet interesting people, learn new things, see what's going on and be very active in the community. Anyway, a year ago, I started doing it in Barcelona as well. And, and now it's, it's going quite well here in Barcelona. And someone contacted me about doing the event also in Munich. And so I've been working with him to get that going and it's, it's going really well there. It's thriving there. And we've also had actually one event in Lisbon. So Basically, I want to I want to double down on this and see how can we can we get more cities. But one thing that people always ask people are like, oh, well, I can't make it to London or I can't make it to Barcelona. Can you record videos of the talks or whatever? And I was like, well, that's a lot of work. But I thought, you know, since I've been doing the podcast here with you, I see how enjoyable and also doing the podcast is. But it's also not, it doesn't take that much time and effort. So basically, the the next step there is to start a GeoMob podcast where I'm able to interview the people who come and speak at the event. And, and that way we can open it up to an audience, you know, that that's not just limited to the actual cities where we have the events. And yeah, that's a great move. And I think it should be quite good because we have a steady flow of very interesting people coming to talk at the events. So there should be no shortage of compelling content to present. So I guess you'll interview, like you'll use the same people twice. They'll present at the at the meetups, but you also uh, get those same people where possible to come and do a podcast interview. Yeah, that's kind so, of the basic idea. But then uh, you know we could also be maybe there are some people who only do the podcast if they if they're you yeah. know if they don't happen yeah. to be in one of the cities or whatever. Ah, uh, right, right. But let's see. But definitely we're going to start with that. I have a huge backlog of people who have spoken at the events over the years, and so the, that can be the first kind of pool of people to tap for the interviews. And let's see how we can get that going. And then the final point is actually we spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, but but we we devoted some time to to make sure we talked about things that we're not going to work on. So um, what we call non-goals, because what I've seen in the past is you can, it's easy to add, oh, we should do this and we should do that. And we should add yet another goal or whatever. And obviously you have to keep the list short. And I think one way to keep it short is to explicitly say, these are the things we explicitly won't work on. I like that. I like that. I think, we, yeah, it's too easy to to overlook that that there's certain things you have to say very clearly, this is what I don't want to achieve, what I'm not going to do. Right. So what are there any non-goals you can tell us? Well, we had a lot of things, you know, we have a long list of kind of someday we should do this or, uh, oh, it'd be cool if we could do this or, you know. And so we went through that list and, you know, 80% of them, we just said, they would be cool or they would be nice, but we're definitely not going to work on them. Like, so, okay. so a good example would be right now, the only form of payment that we accept is credit cards. And, you know, occasionally people do ask us for other means of payment, you know, particularly depending on the country or whatever. So people are like, oh, can you, you know, do you take PayPal? Can you do this? And, and you know, every now and again, we're like, ah, well, you know, this customer's asking for it. Maybe we should do it. But, you know, it's, it'd be kind of a pain in the ass. So we explicitly said this year, we're not working on that. We're going to stick only with credit card. As an so what would you tell a customer who writes to you tomorrow and says, hey, I would like to pay with the means other than credit card, can I do that? Would you just say outright no? Or would you say? Well, I would explain why we don't do that, I, you know, in a friendly way and say, you know, sorry, I, you know, I understand, I understand credit card it isn't always simple, but here's why, you know, here's why we think it's the right choice for our business and hope you can agree. You know, one of the things I've really enjoyed about moving from B to C, from consumer-based app to B to B, a business-based app, is that if you tell a consumer, no, we're not doing that, and here's the reasons, there's a small but significant chance they'll say nasty things oh, to yeah, you or get into an, try to get sure. into an argument. Yeah. And like, 
I'm going to tell everybody on all the on all the social media about how you're the worst company ever, blah, blah, blah. Like, great, you go do that. This does not happen with our feature upvote customers. When we have to say, no, we don't do this. This is why we've thought about it. Maybe we'll consider it in the future, but for now, we're not doing it. They just write back and say, okay, thanks for explaining. Got it. Yeah. And <laughs> move on. Like, and sometimes they still become customers. Sometimes they don't. But it's just so much nicer to deal with. Yeah, I think you're right. And particularly, I think the the ones who want us customers are are people who are reasonable and they get that like yeah. you know, they don't expect that you've cured cancer, right? They know that you're yeah. you're your business just like them and you know, there are probably some things you do well and some things you don't do that well and you know, yeah. th- that's the yeah. that's the reality of the world we live in. So, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you have a an achievable amount of things you're going to try to achieve and not achieve in 2020. Well, let's see. Let's see. I mean, it's some of the projects are kind of very clear cut and we need to dive into them. Some of them are a bit more daunting, like all the different marketing experiments we want to do and things. But but yeah, no, we're excited. Yeah. We're excited for a good year. And we're, we're, are you going to start on all of this in the next month or two while while you're in your productive winter period, or is it like some of these you'll leave till November, no, December? No, no, they're then... all they're all underway. <laughs> all of them have started already. So I'm hoping with the podcast, which I guess is the most publicly visible of these projects, uh, hoping to have the first couple episodes up in February. So maybe we can when that happens, I'll let everyone know. So oh, that'll be great. Oh, that's really really good. So, and the non-goals, I'm already not doing them. So I'm, I'm, I'm way <laughs> ahead of to, schedule on that one. <laughs> All you have to do is keep not doing them. Exactly. For another 11 months. Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, man. What about you? What do you got? Well, I didn't think about non-goals till you mentioned it. And this is something I've had to learn last year is to tell myself that with uh, having a baby and how that's really eating up a lot of my time, I've had to actually tell myself for the foreseeable future, don't do this. Like, except that you're not going to get to, for example, cycle. I like to cycle regularly. And I've just had to tell myself, at the moment, I can't go away for multiple hours at a time on a cycle. Hmm. That'll be something for the future. I really like that. I think I can learn from that. So non-goals I'm going to have to come up with, but my actual goals. So the first one is very similar to your first goal. I want to significantly increase revenue. Now, it's more a hope than a goal because... uh, I don't set any goals, specific targets for that. I, I find that it doesn't really work well for my mental state if I'm always like measuring. How yeah, close I mean I that's just it. Yeah, you can't you can't really let your success be dependent from revenue, right? You need to let your right. drive your success by like, did you launch these features? Did you try these five experiments or things? Because those are things you control, right? You don't control exactly, the... exactly. Yeah. So far, Feature Upvote has increased revenue every single month since we started, and that can't go on indefinitely. There will come some come some point where that levels off, and I'm also trying to be prepared mentally for that to accept when that happens. That's okay, as long as in the the long run we're still moving forward. So yeah, the, to have more revenue by the end of the year than I have now, um, hopefully I can uh, do that. The second one is to open a new marketing channel. This is kind of similar to one of yours as well. We so far we've relied solely on SEO slash content to get our customers. And that's worked pretty well, but mm-hmm. it's very competitive. And sure. it's always hard coming up with new keywords for which we should try to make content which will actually have a significant amount of traffic. And I've put some figures into a spreadsheet with uh 
forecasting how we'll go with the way we're continuing to get organic traffic or SEO traffic. And I can see how that will level off before probably by with, by the end of the year in terms of um, getting us new customers. So we need something else. I don't know what it is, but I do want to find by the end of the year a new marketing channel. One thing I thought of is paid ads, AdWords, et cetera. That's the obvious mm-hmm. one. But I really don't like giving money to the Borg that is Google. So I don't know. Yeah, well, there are other networks that you can spend your money with as well. But but yeah, I take your point. But I don't have any qualms about spending money on ads as long as it works, you know, as long as you can see some return. I think it's getting harder and harder to do ads well because that, that is also very competitive. Uh, the cost well, keeps it's, going it's, up. it's definitely easy. Yeah, it's easy to burn a lot yeah. of money if you don't know what you're so doing. So that's, um, what do they so. call it? PPC ads, paid per click ads, which you get with Google and Facebook yeah. and et cetera. Uh, we are doing a ad in, I think, March and April in a newsletter, email newsletter that is targeted towards our audience. It's for product managers, and we've already booked three or four ads. They have one ad slot in every newsletter, and that's a little bit of getting our feet wet to see what it is to make a, a landing page that ties to the specific advert. And we'll see how that goes. I, I'm not expecting great things, but I like that it's already getting us thinking about how to do ads well. We actually are, um, we ran some newsletter ads last year and it, it seemed to work pretty well. So we're, we're now rerunning that campaign oh, okay. in the exact same newsletter because, you know, the the readership has changed. It's growing right. quite a lot. So hopefully much of the audience is fresh. And even for the ones for whom it's not fresh, you know, it never hurts to re-expose your brand to them. Yeah, I like it a lot, particularly if you can customize the content of your ad to be relevant to the audience yeah. you know, so that you're, you're educating them and, and helping them and it's not intrusive and, and interruptive. So I think there's a lot of potential, you know, there. The, the readers, um, particularly for a product like yours, the readers are already used to the fact that there's one advert, exactly one ad in every news that a smack bang in the middle of it. So we're not interrupting them in a way that they're not used to getting interrupted. Yeah. No. Finding the newsletters is hard, but this is one I've been aware of for some time, and they claim to have twenty or 30,000 um, people on their list. Well, I'm curious to hear how that goes. You should you know, measure it and, okay. and, and let us know. Back on. But I agree. It is, it is a, I would love to sponsor more newsletters that I know are relevant to my audience, but I haven't been able to find more. Oh, okay, frankly. interesting. Do you have any other suggestions of I could experiment with as a new marketing channel other than paid ads? Well, we're gonna we're gonna do some podcast sponsorship. There's a geo podcast we're gonna sponsor. I think that's gonna come out in February or so. In your case, you know, it strikes me it's a big bet for a company, right, to switch to using your product, right? I mean, it's, it's like a very public thing they have to do, mm. right? They have to expose the, your service to their users, and it's it's a difficult decision to reverse. Mm-hmm. You know, like like if it's you know if they dislike it, then they kind of have to stick with it for a while because it looks kind of weird if they drop it after a week or mm-hmm. whatever. So I suspect there's kind of a, a a significant hurdle to overcome there, that the company says, okay, you know, let's 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 do it, let's make this bet. So in that regard, it strikes me it's not kind of an impulse purchase; it's more like an educative sale mm-hmm. that maybe needs to occur over time. And actually, I wonder if maybe the um, I don't know, maybe you need to think about more about how do you tell your story or how do you get your customers to tell the story of the benefits that they had by using your product. And maybe you just need to, you know, relentlessly focus kind of niche by niche. So, you know, find a company that's 
using your product, using it well, enjoying it, you know, likes it, and then say, you know, who else can we find in that sector or, you know, who are the peer companies of that company, you know, and how can we target them? Mm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm making this up as a government. I don't know, but yeah, that, that's my first instinct. I don't know who, like, I, you know, I, w- I guess I would better want to understand who are your actual good customers. Yeah. That's, that's a good you know, question. Is it big companies? Is it small companies? Is it, is it people using it for as an internal tool? Is it people using it as a customer facing tool? You know, I would really try yeah. to understand all Definitely. those. The ones you know, who pay us the most money use it internally. They're the ones who just, for every internal project, they create another board. Uh, we like them. Whereas the public-facing ones tend to have one board, maybe two. Yeah, okay. So, but that makes it difficult, right? If, if, the, if the real value is for the internal-facing ones, but by definition, they're internal. Yeah. So their competitors can't see it. The world can't see yeah. it, right? So... Hmm. I you know one channel that one channel that might work that I've been also want to try as well this year is LinkedIn. Okay, LinkedIn ads or LinkedIn like blogging content. Yeah, LinkedIn ad. Well, I don't. Well, I mean, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care as long as they become customers. You know. So I would think about like at those big those those good customers of yours, the people who are using it internally. Mm-hmm. Presumably, you have some sort of contact with the person that made the hiring decision. Yeah. So I would look those people up on LinkedIn and see like what is their job description, what is their, you know, what groups are they a part of, you know, and maybe you can target those kind of groups mm-hmm. and find find more people like that at, at comparable companies, that kind of thing. And actually, LinkedIn is one place we have been thinking of trying our ads before Google. Uh, because of this, we can actually find product managers, uh, et cetera, or. I didn't think about actually looking up the people using us already. I have to say, I do wonder if Google would be the right tool for you in the sense of, like, it's not an impulse purchase. It's yeah. not like someone's like, oh, I need a feature up, but let me just go do a quick search and click on the first one and then throw the old credit card in there and we're good yeah. to go. Like, that doesn't strike me as the purchase pattern of, of your service. I, I mean, I say, I, I, obviously, I'm not I'm not a user and I'm not a customer, so maybe I'm wrong, but seems a bit unlikely to me. Yeah, that's interesting. And that makes me wonder if my, my new marketing channel could be more about just uh, being very vocal about the product in lots of different places, speaking at conferences, on podcasts, doing, getting us in newsletters, et cetera, all targeted towards a market audience so that they hear feature upvote over and over again. And then eventually, when they do know they're feeling the problem badly, they've already been informed of this solution. Well, that to a degree is, has been the approach that we've taken, and it does work. The problem is it's slow and it's very hard to measure. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, you know, you speak in a conference today, and then the guy, you know, in the third row from the back in the audience hears you, notes your name, and six months later, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, feature up, but let me, you know, that's so hard to attribute. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and everybody wants to be able to attribute their customers to a specific marketing effort, and some you just can't. Some you can't, yeah, exactly. So So. moving on to my goals for 2020, uh, the next one is I I want to get the company to a point where I can take a real vacation. I take vacations a lot, but I'm never really switched off. I'm still like, you know, answering emails, doing support, whatever, every bit a little day, every, every day. I want to be able to get to the point where I can take two entire weeks off. And I know that if I don't check my emails during that time, things are just fine. I know myself, I will check emails, but 
it's optional. Steve, you might be living in living in a dream world here. Because <laughs> didn't, didn't you just say you had a baby last year? Like, you're not going to take any vacation. <laughs> Come on. Come well, on. You, like we... <laughs> you're not going to. You go on vacation for two weeks, you're going to be begging to come back because you're like, oh, my God. Get me. So... Well, yeah, we were in Singapore for a few days between Spain and New Zealand. And there, you know, we both, my my girlfriend and I, we both had to go onto the computer every day and answer stuff. And it was then that I got this idea that wouldn't it be nice if we could do what we're doing right now and just enjoy not having to think about work every day. That's kind of where I'm coming from. And what I've, more concretely, there's a couple of things that I, I still do every day that nobody else is doing, such as customer support for feature upvote. And that's something I'd like to know that there's somebody taking care of that, that there's no need for me to check on that. Yeah, so I agree. You should make sure that someone else can do all the things that you do. And um, and and you should, as much as possible, try to uh, go on holiday. But I I just find it very hard not to fully check out. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, it's, it, that's, yeah, that's you might, that might be an illusion, same, yeah. but, but of course you should do the best you can and you should, you, you should take a long vacation and, um, yeah, just maybe vacation is the wrong word, but just so that I know every day I can say to myself, I don't have to check work emails today. I'm doing this because I want to, not because I have to. You know, the the, the addict who says, I'm not an addict. I, addict, I can quit anytime I want. I just don't want to. Right. Well, I think it's also a big part of this is setting the expectation with your customers, right? Like if yeah. you're the guy, if you answer your customers always within one minute, you know, then they come to expect that, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying you should not help your customers, but... This is one reason I kind of like, you know, I, I think our pricing is not aggressive at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gives me confidence that on, on the, on the if, you know, if, it, if I'm not able to get back to a customer instantly or I'm not able to always solve their problem perfectly, um, which unfortunately happens frequently because, you know, we're using, we're relying on open data that we don't have any control over and things like that, you know, I, I, I explain the issue to them and I give them a polite answer, but it's not always the case that I can solve the customer's problem. And I, I try to make that clear to customers. And and also in the limit, if someone's truly unhappy, uh, you know, I just give them a refund and I just say, yeah. fine, man. I'm yeah. like, you know, I, we yeah. don't need to have so stress that, about it. So that goal also means that I won't do a more hands-on sales approach as a new marketing channel because that's incompatible with me being able to take two weeks off. So that's kind of a non-goal there is to not become a sales-focused company where we really want to talk individually with people. We want to make yeah. it clear that that's not who we are. Hey, my, my last goal for 2020, this is a personal goal, not a business goal, get much better at speaking Spanish. I've been living in Spain for eight years. I've become that cliche of the native English speaker who spends years in a country and doesn't even manage to speak their language. I got much. I did get better in 2019. I've been focusing on it, but I'm still not able to easily have a conversation on any topic in Spanish with anybody anytime. And that's where I want to be at the end of 2020. What is your technique there? You're taking lessons or, or classes or what? Or? So in 2019, I did a lot of Duolingo. It was something I was able to do despite being uh, stuck at home a lot looking after my daughter. Sure. Um, and I started using this product, uh, this site called 
italki, I think it's called, where I can have a live one-on-one -on -one Skype conversation with a professional teacher and we would just have a conversation. Uh, mm -hmm. And I just need to do more and more of that. I think. But do you do it on a, on a set schedule, like, you know, two times a week or something, or you just do it um, whenever you feel like it? That's what I wanted to, but I wasn't able to in 2019. So uh -huh. that's what I want to get happening is a, yeah, a schedule where I'm doing it regularly every week. Uh, well, I dude, I can, I can sympathize with this because, you know, I've also lived now in Spain this year. This year will become five years and my Spanish is horrible. Horrible. And I think it's frustrating for myself and probably for you too to not be able to fully take part in conversations happening around you. Sometimes it's a blessing when you start learning the language and you realize that sometimes people are not talking about stuff you really want to talk about. Well, I mean, the good and the bad of living in Barcelona is that a, it's very international. So the reality is I never have any difficulties living my life despite yeah. my Spanish being yeah. Yeah. poor, very poor. And then you have the whole Spanish Catalan thing, which doesn't doesn't make it easier to a degree. Yeah. So hopefully by the end of this year, I can come back on the podcast and say a couple of sentences in fluent Spanish. No, well, I assume we'll do the whole podcast in Spanish. <laughs> it's yeah. straight after our German episode. Yeah. But in the point with Duolingo is a good one because actually I have I've done Duolingo. I I think I've now twice. Saved the prince got to the end in yeah. uh, in Duolingo. I did it once in English, and then I then I did it again in German. And I mean, you know, it took like super long. It took me over a year to get, get crack yeah. it, but I got really good at Duolingo. But it didn't. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure it improved my Spanish. That's like, the problem. I can, I can I can churn through Duolingo like an ace, but then yeah. then like someone comes up to me and starts talking, and I'm like, uh, 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 you know. I find it's good for building up vocabulary and it does help with my comprehension and reading, but it's useless when it comes to talking with people that yeah, nothing that beats talking, actually going through talking. And that's why I'm doing these, I have been doing these one-on-one -on -one conversations in real life that I'm going to take up again when I get back to Spain. Hey, Ed, probably uh, time to, to wrap up for right. today. Yeah. One last thing before we go, listeners. If you are enjoying this podcast, please, please, please do us a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and find the podcast and give us a review. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to make this easier for you. I know a lot of you are listening while you're walking the dog or driving your car or on public transport, and it's not practical to give us a review. So try to remember when you get back to your desk to go to Apple Podcasts and do that review. That's really helpful for us. Listeners, if you'd like to discuss anything more about today's topics, please go to our forum at bootstrapped.fm and join the conversation. Bye from me. And bye from me. Good luck, everyone, with their 2020 goals. Bye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.